0: you um, are participating with us in our 40 days of prayer campaign. How many of you have got online, are looking online at those? Not very many of you are looking online at them. How many of you are doing the hard copies? There you go. But we've got a new set of hard copies for this next week, and uh, we trust that uh, you'll be doing uh, some uh, daily devotional reading. Um, One um, Uh, devotional a day uh, for the next seven days through our 40 days of prayer. Um, And uh, maybe something that uh, I write in those prayer devotionals has sparked a question or something that you'd like to discuss. Um, Come after church at uh, at 1045 for our uh, cross-training sessions, and that'll be a time to discuss and bring questions and, and make comments on our 40 days of prayer Uh, We just encourage us to do that. And then uh, I hope that you'll all reserve Sunday, February 17th at 630, where we'll be meeting here for a corporate time of prayer. And I'll be leading us through a series of prayer subjects as we lift our voices together in uh, corporate prayer together. So I trust that you'll do that. And the reason why we're doing this initiative is because uh, without God's leading and guidance and direction, For our future, um, we would just be throwing spitballs against the chalkboard and hoping that they stick. (laughs) We don't want to do that with God's church, do we? We need God to talk to us and to share with us, and we need to hear from him on what he wants us to do for our future. So as we prepare for our next pastor to come and lead us, um, we want our congregation to be fully engaged, and we need God to lead us and direct us. In prayer, uh, I am leading us through a series of sermons on prayer, and uh, today I am discussing uh, a prayer, uh, a, a message about a prayer that overcomes the adversary. Uh, very kind of a specific pointed subject today about prayer, and uh, so as I deal with that subject, uh, please join with me and let's ask God, the Holy Spirit, to be our teacher. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege we have of being together as your people. And now as we look into your word, Holy Spirit, you inspired the writing of your word. So I pray that you would imprint it in our, implanted in our hearts. And that, uh, that you would um, bring more, bring forth much fruit that lasts as we discuss your word today. I pray, God, that you would protect us from anything that is not from you. But all that is from you, use it for your honor and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I'm discussing the Christian worldview. I want to talk about the Christian worldview with you. And how to nurture a lifestyle of prayer that nurtures a Christian worldview. Now what do I mean by a worldview? Well, I would suggest to you that a world view is a lens, a grid, through which we view all of life. Um, it's a lens that filters life and allows only certain perspectives through. And uh, it forms our, our opinion, our, our perspective on life. It's, it's formed by the words we read. It's formed by the media we view and listen to, formed by the people we interact with. It's formed through the experiences we observe and live our own lives. And, and as all these factors come together in our lives, we begin to formulate a way that we look at life. We organize all these gigabits of information and form a way to view the world that allows us to function, to organize life. That's what a worldview is. Now, the reason I mention that is because Christianity is sometimes described as a religion. And uh, when I think of a religion, I think of a set of beliefs and prescriptions, most of which uh, include do's and don'ts. When you think of religion, you think of do this, do this ceremony, don't do this, avoid this. That's religion religion. I think of how to formulate a system that relates uh, to some form of deity. And Christianity is described sometimes as these whole prescriptive regulation things relative to the Lord Jesus Christ, which makes Christianity a Christian uh, religion. But our faith is not that. Um, Our faith is... Uh, not, as one politician has recently described, a practice of worship. Sometimes uh, Christianity has said, well, this is, this is just a practice of worship, which uh, really implies that uh, all we do is we gather together and practice our religion together. Um, rather than a religion, the Bible presents a worldview that integrates the physical, the spiritual the emotional, and the volitional, or the will, uh, that which we do for choosing and purposing. A worldview encompasses the whole creation and the whole person. And I would suggest that that is a better description of Christianity. It's a worldview that integrates all of life. That's why the resurrection is so important. Because the resurrection integrates the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the volitional, all these things and keeps them consistent not only in this life but in the life to come. And Christianity through the, through the resurrection of Jesus preserves this holistic view of who we are and what life is all about. And it demonstrates that there is a fullness of humanity not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so our worldview encompasses all of creation, all of life, everything that we have in life. Now, this idea of a biblical worldview is important because it integrates evil spirits, it integrates demons, it integrates a literal devil in the Christian worldview, in the biblical worldview, which is my subject for today. How does prayer relate to that? Now, consider with me, reflect with me, Jesus' ministry. Uh, in Jesus' ministry, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5-7, to he records uh, the key elements in the biblical worldview, and he goes through all of the different subjects Beatitudes, and then all of the statements where he says, you've heard that this was said, but I say to you. He talks about relevant issues in life. He talks about prayer. He talks about all these wonderful things. And then in chapter 8, he says to his disciples, well, now I've given you a lot of teaching about these important concepts in life. Um, Let's go over to the other side of the lake because I want to expand your worldview. So the disciples get into the to a boat and they begin to row across the Sea of Galilee or, this, or the lake that, that these calls. called. And when they get to the other side, which is a, a portion of, of the, the region that is dominated by Gentile population, Matthew records that they run into these two guys that are demon-possessed. I mean, they're... They are just controlled by evil spirits. And they're out of control. No one can control these guys. And Jesus says, what is your name? And they say, we are legion because we are many. And so then Jesus, with, with the disciples watching him, he takes authority over these evil spirits and allows them to go into a herd of pigs. You know the story? And these pigs then rush down the hill and they go into the, into the water and they drown. And everyone is amazed. And the disciples, I think, were just going, what's going on here? And after this is over, very interesting. Chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus says, okay, now let's go back over where we used to be. And he goes back over where they used to be and then he continues to minister on the Jewish side of the region. It just seems like Jesus said, guys... I want to show you something. I want to show you a new reality. I want to integrate something that will round out your worldview. And that is that there are spiritual forces that are evil in this world. From then on in Matthew's Gospel, as Matthew unfolds the story, according to his perspective in Matthew's Gospel, the disciples frequently encounter Satan and demons. And further, in the book of Acts and in the, in the epistles, uh, there's lots of material that refers to Satan and his army of evil spirits. In fact, probably one of the most complete, clear descriptions of this is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And this is what it says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers uh, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the Apostle Paul writes, he says, there's a reality in our worldview. Jesus introduced the disciples to it. We've experienced it as we've done missionary work in, recorded in the book of Acts. And I want you to know, Ephesians, that this is an important part of the Christian worldview. Now, why do I review this? I review this simply because in our highly developed technological Western culture, the reality of Satan and evil spirits is not part of the worldview of mainstream America. Mainstream America just says, well, that's, that's just the stuff of fantasy. That's just the stuff of sci-fi. We just, we just make movies about that stuff. It's not real. We just, we just use that for entertainment. Barner Research Group, which is a Christian research group, um, they surveyed America. And they asked the question, do you believe in a literal devil? You know what the answer was? Two-thirds of those who responded to the survey said no. No. It's just not part of the Christian perspective. It's not part of the American worldview. We must be reminded, if we're going to have a complete perspective of what it means to follow Jesus, that there is this spiritual world that we need to be aware of. We must not be naive. We must be prepared. Um, I've presented, if you've got your bulletin, take out the green insert in the bulletin. Now, just outlined for you, I, I took this from an article that, that I read recently. That, that you know, This is all biblical material, but it's organized well in this one article. Let me tell you what the real literal devil wants to do to us. He wants to lie to us. He's the father of lies. He wants to bring us fear. He wants to cause us to be afraid. He wants to blind the minds of those that we seek to share the gospel with. He masquerades in, con- in costumes of light and righteousness. In other words, he, he, he lies to us and he tricks us into thinking that he is something good when really in disguise he is, he is really something evil. He does signs and wonders. He's able to perform miracles. Um, but he always does it in order to bring about his devilish agenda in our lives. Um, He tempts us to sin. He wants us to fail. He wants us to disappoint God. When we share the gospel with someone, he plucks, uh, plucks the word of God out of their path, and then he does everything he can to squelch any semblance of faith. He causes some sickness and disease. Some. Not all, but some. He's a murderer, motivates people to kill. He fights against the plans of missionaries. He accuses Christians. This, this devil has a specific agenda against us. And this is part of the Christian worldview. This is part of who the Bible says uh, he is. And this is part of the, the, the walk that we walk as Christians. We should be aware of his tactics against us, and we should have a strategy in place so that when his attack is against us, we know what to do. But I'd like to give us one caution. Romans chapter 16, verse 19, very important verse. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Be wise about what is good. And I would suggest to you that the Apostle Paul here is teaching us, spend your time and energy on the good news of the gospel. (laughs) Be wise about what is good. Okay? Be innocent about what is evil. Acknowledge the reality of evil, but be innocent with it. In other words, Be careful not to give too much energy, too much attention, too much glory to the enemy. Give your glory to God. Give your energy to God. I think we'll see how Paul puts this principle into practice as he writes to the church at Ephesus on how to overcome these specific attacks that we've outlined here. This isn't exhaustive, but it's it's representative of giving us the reality that Satan is against us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, Paul tells us how to be aware of what is evil, but to be innocent about it. What do we do when the enemy attacks us? Ephesians 1 For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. So here's how the Apostle Paul prays. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Last week, we discussed prayer that makes much of God. I hope you remember that. A-C-T-S. And as we pray, adoration, confession, uh, thanksgiving, and supplication. We lift up God, and that's the basis of our prayer. We make much of God in prayer. Here's what I'd like to suggest today. Prayer that makes much of God overcomes the adversary. Prayer that makes much of God overcomes the adversary. In this model of prayer, Paul addresses the reality of Satan, the reality of hierarchy of demonic forces. He says that rules, authorities, powers in the heavenly realms. Recognizes that. But he does so in the context of making much of God. So as we make much of God in submission of God, we will then be able to respond to the aggression of the enemy against us. This is the Christian worldview. As we make much of God in prayer, the adversary is put in his place, his proper place, which is he is a servant of Almighty God. He is in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the agenda of the adversary is directed towards us, we overcome him by making much of God in prayer. Now, let's see how Paul does this as he prays for us. First, he prays that we might know God better. That we might know God better. You want to know how to be free from the adversary? Get to know God better, Paul says. Paul prays that God would increase in us the influence of the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and revelation. Now, those words together um, really talk about uh, God opening our eyes and opening our ears to hear from the Holy Spirit. It talks about illumination. It talks about understanding the scriptures. Verse 17, to know God better, so we can make much of him. And as we make much of him in prayer, the adversary loses his grip and his ability to attack us. There are two ways that he talks about this in this verse. One, we, to, make, to know God better is to appreciate how Jesus makes the Father known. He is the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he is the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ makes God known. And that's what John 1.18 says. John 1.18 says that the purpose of Jesus' coming is to exegete the Father. (laughs) Basically, literally what it means. It means he came to make the Father known. So all Jesus does is makes the Father known. Hebrews 1, three, he is the exact representation of the Father. Um, Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. I and the Father are one. So all Jesus does in his ministry is he makes the Father known. And so Paul says, in our Christian worldview, it's important for us to know the Father. Now, how does Jesus make the Father known specifically? Well, if we look at the Lord's Prayer... We see how Jesus makes the Father known in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, God is our Dad, who art in heaven. He is separate from creation. I mean, pantheism is is kind of uh, addressed there. Uh, All is not God. God is separate from creation. Hallowed, holy, God is holy. Be thy name. He personally has a name. Um, Thy kingdom come. He is a king. He rules a kingdom. Thy will be done. He's a sovereign ruler on earth as it is in heaven. He is not a deist. He is not separated from creation. He's involved with creation. Um, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. What's it say about God? He's a giver. Our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. He's a forgiving God. Um, Lead us not into temptation. He's a protecting God. Everything that Jesus does points to who God is. And so, as we think about nurturing the worldview of being a Christian, get to know who God is. Appreciate that he is the God that the Lord Jesus Christ points us to. Secondly, appreciate that he is a glorious Father and i won't go through chapter 1 but sometime when you have an opportunity read chapter 1 of ephesians and all the things that the apostle paul reminds us of the father and in verse 1 or in verse 6 12 and 14 to the praise of his glory you know understanding the glory of god is what softens our hearts to the gospel i was talking with mohia this week and he was telling us, telling me that when, when Americans would come to uh, climb the mountain in his country, he was curious, and so he went with them and became their, their guide, and he trained them on how to survive in the mountains. And as he was doing that ministry, he looked at this mountain, he looked at the creation, and he was overwhelmed at the glory of God that he saw in creation. And the glory of God that he saw in creation began to soften his heart to become receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if you want to understand God, get to know Him. Allow His glory to overwhelm you. And as we do that, it formulates uh, a way for us to to relate to this spiritual issues that sometimes we face. You see, referring to... uh, to, to God in this way, gives us a foundation for the Christian worldview. And then Paul gets specific. He says that he wants the, the Holy Spirit uh, to reveal to us uh, the hope to which he has called us, our living hope, a hope, a hope that uh, is inheritance for us in heaven, that is kept in heaven for us. And then he wants us to know uh, the riches of God's inheritance to his holy people. And this really means a theological way of talking about our inheritance in heaven is going to be corporate. We're going to be together in heaven. And as we understand these things, what's Paul doing? He's making much of God. And as he makes much of God, he is, he is praying in a way that puts the enemy in his proper place. And if this is how Paul prays for us, we can assume that it's a great way for us to pray as well. Make much of God. This is just a surface uh, illustration that Paul makes. And then he says he gets down to the reality of the spiritual war. What do we do when Satan attacks us? Paul says, pray that God gives you an awareness of the incomparably great power for us who believe. The incomparably great power, which is for us who believe. Because of God, who God is, because he is a living hope, because we have an inheritance with God's people, and now because we have access to the power of God We can have confidence if and when the adversary attacks us. And so God's most dramatic displays of power are now outlined by the Apostle Paul. And this power is available to you and to me. And so as we look at that insert that I gave you, as we look at the things that Satan wants to do and attack us, If we make much of God in prayer, we will experience his power. What is the power of God? Well, there are a couple of phrases that he uses to express the power of God. First verse 20, power exerted when Christ was raised from the dead. This describes the power exerted in Christ's resurrection. It describes the power exerted when God uh, enthroned Jesus in heaven at the right hand of God. And I'd like to suggest to you that right now, that power Jesus is giving to you and to me from the throne of God. From the right hand of God, he is giving us the same power, that raised and enthroned Jesus to be there, and he's giving it to us. That power is ours in Christ. Now, it's very interesting to, to notice um, something that is, is, is... I love this little story in Luke chapter 21. If you want to turn there, Luke chapter 21. This is what Jesus says in verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Attacks, right? But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. You see, any attempt that the enemy might have to inflict his devilish agenda in our lives must go through the permission of God. And Jesus said to Peter, Now, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying that God will protect you. Well, that was when Jesus was on earth. But what about us now? Well, I'd like to remind you that in, in the book of Hebrews, verse seven, chapter 7, verse 25, God tells us this that from the throne where Jesus is resurrected and exalted, something is happening. Here's what he says in Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save you completely, those who come to God through him, because he intercedes for you. He is interceding for you. So Satan has to come to God now If he wants to inflict his agenda against us now, he has to go through the throne of God where Jesus is seated and he's praying for us. We have access to that power. The power of the resurrection is ours. And how do we receive that power? We make much of God in prayer. We make much of God in prayer. And then he says something very interesting in verses 20 and 22. We also have power displayed in the exalted Christ who rules over all spiritual forces. Verses 20 to 22. Not only did God raise Jesus and enthrone him, he exalted Jesus. He placed him far above all spiritual forces what the text says in verses 20 to 22. Jesus is far above all spiritual forces, referring to authority. Whatever power and authority there exists in the universe, Jesus is above it. Not just above it, far above it. Jesus has authority over every name. And of course, you're remembering Philippians chapter 2. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, what's he say? Every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. That encompasses all spiritual forces. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. So as we pray and make much of God, we realize that all the power that God has, he's given to Jesus, and Jesus is exalted above all spiritual authority. And then look at verse 22 of Ephesians 1. This is really interesting. All things are under Jesus' feet. All things are under Jesus' feet. They are not only inferior to Jesus, but they are subject to Jesus. They are his footstool. Now, there's something about feet in the, the life of, of the devil, the adversary, because you remember in Genesis 3, uh, the prophecy is given that the devil will be able to bruise Jesus' heel. But what will Jesus do? He will strike the, his head. Probably with his feet. Well, not literally, but did any of you see the, the movie The Passion of the Christ? And there was a really interesting scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus looked down on the ground and there was a snake. Remember that scene? And Jesus lifted up his foot and went, <laughs> and there is a sound, <laughs> didn't show it, but we all knew exactly what, what what the director was trying to say. This is the time when Jesus crushed the head of the devil. That's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus refers to the spiritual forces on this earth. They are his footstool. Now, Look with me over one paragraph in Ephesians to chapter 2, verse 6. Look at what chapter 2, verse 6 says. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. As we are in Christ, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So if the spiritual forces of evil are a footstool underneath Jesus' feet, in Christ, they're also a footstool under our feet. Now, sometimes on a footstool, you take off your shoes and your socks are smelly, you know. That's what we put on the spiritual forces of evil. Jesus Paul says that when Christ rose from the dead and the, at the cross and then rose from the dead, he made a public spectacle of Satan, humiliated him, totally disarmed him, took away all of his power. He is a footstool under our feet. You see, power is available to us in Christ. And thirdly, he says in verse 22 to 23, the power exercised by Christ over everything for the church. So here's where we know that that power is ours. He is head over all things for us. What God did in Christ, he did for you and for me. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. The reality of the agenda of the adversary against us is something that we need to include in our Christian worldview. We better include it. But we need not fear. Because if we pray and make much of God, as Paul models for us here, as we make much of God in prayer we will then enter in to the whole worldview that Paul outlines for us and that the Bible outlines for us, and we can experience the power of God that will overcome the adversary. How do we do that? Well, James 4, verses 7 and 8, and I'll close with this. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Well, um, actually, verse 6. He gives us more grace... That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And look at this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. How do you resist the devil? I would suggest make much of God in prayer. Make much of God in prayer. Um, There are some teachers who suggest power encounters where you confront the devil and speak to him and all this kind of stuff. I think it's much more biblical to just make much of God in prayer. (laughs) As you make much of God in prayer, receive his power, Satan will flee. That's what the Bible says. He will flee from you. So what I've done today is I've given you a couple of worksheets out in the foyer. One of them, um, I just felt led to do this over the weekend, so I made my own copies. Um, It just gives us information about who is God. Um, Names for God, titles for God, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then the attributes of God, who is he? And then attributes of God that he gives to us. Um, It's packed full of just Bible verses. Why do I give this to you? Because I want you to know God better. I want you to know Him. This is who He is. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, if we know who He is, His power can be ours. What power? The power of the resurrection. The power of of what Jesus does when he makes Satan a footstool for his feet. And as we're in Christ, he's a footstool for us as well. How do we overcome the adversary? Make much of God. And then we can live lives free because Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But why did Jesus come? He came to give us life. <laughs> he came to give us life and we exalt in God, make much of Him, we will be free from the attacks of our adversary. Final thought, verse 19. For us who believe. You know, if you're not connected to Jesus Christ, you're toast against the enemy. You don't have a prayer against Him. But if you're in Christ, you can claim all the power of God on your behalf. So I ask you today, do you know for certain that you belong to Jesus? Do you know for certain? Because there's a reality, there's a spiritual world out there, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The promises of God are for those who believe. Let's bow our heads and contemplate this very fundamental question today. We don't have to come forward, um, walk the aisle. We don't have to say any specific prayers. We don't have to do anything except believe and make much of God according to how he has revealed himself to us. Father in heaven, I pray today that the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that we are sinners both by nature and by behavior, and that offends a holy God. And I pray that we would realize that in your presence we need to confess. And Lord, as we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to uphold the work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. Lord, we thank You that as we believe that we can enter into a relationship with You, I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would open the hearts of anyone today who came here today and is still on the fence of whether they believe. Lord, we've talked about a battle, a spiritual battle, a powerful adversary. We need not fear Him if we are in Christ. So I pray that anybody here who is wondering, is it worth it for me to trust Christ, that they'll say, yes, I trust you. I've got lots of questions. It's okay. But say, Lord, I believe, protect me from this enemy of my soul. And I thank you now that that as people place their faith and trust in Christ, receive his power for their lives that they would then be full of joy and confidence that they could follow after you and walk with you. Oh God, my prayer today is that we would make much of you in prayer and then know that we have been and will continue to overcome the adversary. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus who gives his power to us. Amen.